0: The railroad played a major role in the growth of the nation. It unified a sprawling country and spurred the Industrial Revolution. Over a 20-year period, ranchers followed cattle routes like the famous Chisholm Trail, north to shipping points in Missouri and Kansas, until the railroads were extended into the Texas Range Country. By 1930, railroads had reached their peak, with almost 430,000 miles of track.
1: They called him the Railroad Killer.
2: The Railroad serial
1: killer. The,
0: serial killer. the Railway Serial
1: Killer. Railway Serial Killer. And for more than a decade, he crisscrossed the US by freight train. I believe everybody was scared, you know, especially if they live next to the railroad.
2: Clearly, this was somebody that was riding the rails,
1: Jumping off at random and bludgeoning his victims to death with whatever blunt object he could find. But the railroads are Resendez's world, and he maintains the advantage. He claimed he was half-man, half-angel, and he was ridding the world of sinners. The young man
2: found brutally bludgeoned to death along a railway track. Found
1: dead by the train track. For a while, back in 1999, he even nudged Osama bin Laden off the FBI's Most Wanted list. It looked like somebody had just been brutally beaten about the head. There were a lot of horrendous crimes committed by the railroad killer and we're going to come back to those later. You've probably heard of him before, or maybe you haven't, but he's the central character in DMT Media and Audioboom's Dead Man Talking podcast, with me, Alex Hannaford. I first met Ángel Reséndiz in 2003... I'd just moved to Texas and I wanted to interview him for a story for a small magazine in the UK and I set up the interview on death row. The chance to interview somebody so notorious was a really rare opportunity. I was interested because I wanted to see what this person was about, what made him tick. Was there anything I could kind of learn from interviewing him? It was just so unusual to get the chance to do this. You go to this little town called Livingston, which is in East Texas, just north of Houston, and it's very remote. It's a logging town. You drive off the main road for about a couple of miles past all these kind of trees and dilapidated houses and a couple of old churches. And eventually, as you turn the corner, there's this massive concrete building, huge, sprawling concrete complex with razor wire sort of surrounding it and these turrets with armed corrections officers in in them guarding it. I was led down a long corridor to the visitation room he was brought in and he was wearing all-in-one white prison overalls his head was shaved and he had glasses on and he sat down and he had to sign a piece of paper just agreeing to the interview and then he essentially refused to talk to me unless i bought him donuts and a pepsi from the vending machine behind me and i said oh right okay only then could the interview begin i'm just going to give it a test See if, it, see if it works, OK? Well, just uh, give me two seconds. So I had this little in-ear uh, recording device that you, you fit into your ear like an earbud, and then the other end plugs into the record um, section of the dictaphone, and uh, it records the telephone. So I was holding a telephone up to that ear. Um, Resendiz had his telephone that he was talking into. So the audio is, leaves a lot to be desired. I started by asking him about life on death row if he had a girlfriend on the outside who visited him.
3: you have anyone like that? Yeah. You do? Yeah. But, uh, well, the judge cannot sue me anymore. I'm here in the ultimate payment, you know? So I just do whatever I, I please to do, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So who's your girlfriend? That's uh, just Nancy. 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 Where's she from? Is she from Texas? Uh, Ohio. Okay, and she she lives in Ohio, does she? Yeah, in Cleveland. Yeah,
1: Cleveland, Ohio. I imagined that when I met him for the first time, I would at least sort of see this, you know, monster as a cliche, but certainly somebody who was capable of these brutal crimes that he'd been convicted of, and yet here was this small diminutive guy who was overweight and um, very softly spoken and didn't seem physically capable of these crimes at all.
3: And they got a, a breaker system here in in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area, huh? where all the trains meet and if you want to go to almost 20 places in, in the United States, you can go from there yeah. real fast. Okay. Sometimes I used to chop somebody in and throw them in swamps. Which swamps? I was
1: a little bit out of my depth in 2003. I was only beginning my career as a journalist, interviewing inmates and writing about criminal justice. I hadn't been doing that for the previous six years. What I wasn't prepared for at all, though, were his confessions. Resendiz began to tell me about additional murders he'd committed. Some of which hadn't been investigated.
3: one I did, the lady, the, the the blame for me doing it, Hello? she's serving life life in prison. Who? Hey. Uh, this is the Diamantina Salinas Colohaco. Okay, you can, can you spell? Diamantina, in this
1: part of the tape, Resendez takes the blame for the murder of Darrell Collahuacco, who was found beaten to death in his home in the early hours of June the thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight. He suffered massive head injuries resulting from 15 blows from a steel pipe.
3: So she's in prison for murder? For murdering her husband when I did it.
1: Here, Resendiz was sitting there telling me that he had committed a murder and a woman had been convicted of that murder and was serving life in prison. And that was shocking. I wasn't prepared for that. And so, you know, I'm hurriedly writing down these notes and asking him for more
3: detail. The me up yeah. In Magnolias. OK. There was to go to work. OK. Where is Magnolias? Okay. In where? Which? Houston. In Houston, OK. OK.
1: the time I recorded this interview, Daryl Kolahako's wife and her boyfriend were serving a prison sentence for his murder. The prosecution said she'd planned it because of her husband's bisexuality and so she could benefit from a life insurance payout. I discovered from talking to other reporters that he'd made the same confession about killing Daryl Kolohako before, but that the authorities had dismissed it as an effort to delay his execution. Shortly after this interview, I moved back to England with my wife and wrote the story for a small magazine in London. I mentioned his confession about the Kolohako murder in the story, and it was an interesting story. It was a short story, and that was the end of it. I was living back in the UK, and didn't really think about Resendez again until his execution.
0: El FBI era como un fantasma que Resendez
2: Ramirez is now on death row in Huntsville, Texas, and is scheduled to die by lethal injection.
1: I remember this vividly. I was living in a flat in London with my wife. It was probably around about one in the morning. I was still there lying in bed refreshing the website for the Huntsville item, which is the local newspaper. And I just remember that moment, that split second when the news changed on the website, there it was, Resendiz had been executed. And it kind of felt weird because not only was this the first person I think that had ever been executed that I had interviewed, but more importantly, there was these confessions that Resendiz had made that I had on this tape somewhere. we moved back to Texas again, literally shipping all of our stuff back across the pond again. But I unpacked all these boxes when we went back to Texas, and I, I didn't find the tape, so I just assumed it had been lost forever. I just couldn't shake this, this nagging feeling that there was something I should do about what Resendiz had told me on this tape. It, what was frustrating for me was I couldn't do anything about them because I didn't have a transcript, and I didn't have the tape. We went back again to England in at the end of 2014 for a year, again moving all our stuff, all our boxes across the pond and back again to Texas at the end of 2015. I know it's completely crazy and I don't know why we did it either. But anyway, here we are back in Texas and I'm unpacking these boxes again and suddenly I found Resendiz's tape. And I just I remember just stopping everything and going into the house and putting this tape in a drawer and thinking finally I can do something about what he'd told me. So the first thing I did after finding the tape again is write to Diamantina Colahaco in prison. She's the woman, you'll remember, who is serving a life sentence for her husband's murder and I told her what I'd heard from Resendiz. She'd always said she was innocent, so I imagine she'd be pretty ecstatic to hear this. As the weeks passed with no response, I began to think this was a dead end. But then, this happened. I just got this letter from Diamantina. Uh, There's a nondescript address on the envelope in Gatesville, Texas, but it's from the prison. She finally got back to me. Um, She apologises for not replying sooner, but says she's been sick. And she writes... I'd never met Resendiz, so it took me for a loop. He wrote wrote to me me to tell me that he had had done it. Even even went to describe
2: describe my house. house. Had it right, too. I would like to talk to you. Curiosity more than anything. I'm guessing you read all reports from all ends. But like I said, curiosity is the reason I'm answering. Just let me know what's up, or if you get a publication interested, or not. Have a blessed day. Diamantina.
1: So, before he was executed, Resendiz wrote to Diamantina, telling her what he'd told me. I was shocked there'd been no real investigation into this confession, and that a woman was still serving life in prison for the murder. It had been so long, but if Diamantina agreed to talk, this was all I needed to follow up on what Resendiz had told me all those years ago. Now I was back in Texas, and I had the tape, I was finally able to follow up properly on the railroad killer's confessions.
3: So she's in prison for murder. For murdering her husband when I did it.
1: So there's some pretty unique things on this tape. I only spent an hour with Resendiz, but on that hour-long tape, there's some things that blew my mind. And in this podcast series, you're going to hear them too. This is what criminal justice reporters do. If there is a compelling story that somebody might be innocent, they have a duty to go and investigate that story. It might be somebody serving a death sentence or a life sentence in prison. But if there's some problem with the case, they have to go back and look at it forensically and shine light on that case. This is the complete opposite. I'm going to investigate this confession to try and prove that Resendiz actually committed more murders than they think he did. Dead Man Talking wouldn't be possible without the very kind support from our sponsors. Now, I suffer from occasional insomnia. I don't mind you knowing. So I know that sleeping on the right mattress is really important, but it's intimidating going into a shop and trying them out for five minutes and then buying something that's supposed to last you years. The truth is that expensive mattress you're considering buying is basically a waste of money because it's not customized to you. That's where Helix comes in. Helix have built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete... And then they'll use the answers you've given to match your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. So if you're 250 pounds, 100 pounds, if you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, if you like a soft bed, a firm bed with Helix, there's no more guessing or confusion. Just go to helixsleep.com DMT, take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that they promise will give you the best sleep of your life. What's more, they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. And right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders. So get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com DMT. Right, back to the podcast. So to understand more about this confession, you need to know who we're dealing with here. Who was Resendiz and why was he originally convicted? and sentenced to death. So there's a lot of information coming up and it's really important that you hear it. We're going to get back to my tape and my investigation very soon. I've just got back from the Texas State Archives where I've spent the past two hours going through four huge boxes of Rosendi's court documents. Um, one of the most disturbing parts of the documents are the crime scene photographs, which actually I didn't think uh, would still be in there. But they are, and they're pretty harrowing. You can see um, in one of the murders, bloodstained carpet, um, a statuette lying near to it and the knife lying on a pillow. Um, this kind of African bronze statue that he used to bludgeon one of his victims to death. One of his victims, you can see her head wrapped in a plastic bag and her defensive wounds uh, was really pretty traumatic. The person we're dealing with here is very unusual and very unique. And you could argue it's a particularly American phenomenon. Of course, there have been serial killers in other countries, but America seems to have more than anyone else. The nature of his crimes, the violence with which he killed these people is so horrific. And it's such a terrifying story. There's something particularly terrifying about this person who's killing these people completely at random
3: and they got a, a breaker system here in in, in dallas forward area uh-huh. where all the trains meet and if you want to go to almost 20 places in, in the united states you can go from there yeah. real fast okay so you would just get you and
1: you nowhere was safe i mean Resendez was using the railroad network which crisscrosses america goes to so many different places And he could literally have sprung up anywhere and committed these terrible crimes. It's a pretty horrendous CV, but here we go. Resendez killed a doctor in a Houston home by stabbing her repeatedly and smashing a statue on her head. He killed a college student and left his girlfriend for dead near railroad tracks in Kentucky. Bludgeoned an elderly woman in a home near Dallas, Texas with an antique iron and then raped a 26-year-old schoolteacher in Houston before killing her with a pickaxe. In Illinois, he shot an old man in the back of the head with his own gun and then beat his daughter to death with the rifle butt. His killing spree brought fear and anger to all the communities that were affected. One of the terrible crimes occurred in a place called Weimar, Texas
2: in 1999 very quiet community one of those kind of places where when you pass somebody on the roadway going the other way you you stuck your hand up
1: this is ryan poppy he's a journalist who grew up in the
2: town it's sort of part of the blackland prairie that area of texas right between uh, the coastal bend and uh, where the hill country meets up and the sweet smell of either magnolia or, or cottonwood trees lingering through the air. In people's homes, people just didn't lock their doors at night. Like most
1: Texas towns, the church played a prominent role. Ryan was close to church minister Norman Cernick, who is known as Skip, and his wife Karen.
2: Unlike any pastor that I've ever met, he was someone that was really easy to talk to. When I became kind of wayward in high school and college, I took counsel with Skip to kind of find some direction in my life because he was that kind of approachable person. Weimar was set up as a railroad town. It was built for that purpose. And the train track itself from the parish home, I would say was maybe less than 50 feet. On
1: the night of May the second, 1999, life in Weimar was to change forever. It was a Sunday,
2: and uh, my mom called me and said, I've got something really, really bad to tell you. Skip and Karen, they're gone. They were murdered and we don't know what what happened. We were all waiting in church and Skip never came over um, like he always does. Ryan's father was actually one of the first people on scene. He had seen a lot of stuff.
1: Um, He had never
2: seen anything like this,
1: though. An intruder broke into their home, took a 12-pound sledgehammer from their garage and bludgeoned the couple while they were sleeping.
2: Post-mortem lady, had sex with at least Karen, if not both bodies. We had staged the scene to make it look like a break-in.
1: With a murderer and rapist on the loose, the residents of Weimar were understandably very nervous, and they began to take precautions.
2: Complete paranoia. Just fear at every corner. We're now sleeping with guns, and we're now carrying guns everywhere we go. Everybody in town was living in this fear now.
1: Soon after, 73-year-old Josephine Convica was killed just a few miles away, and by the end of the weekend, 26-year-old Nomi Dominguez had been raped and bludgeoned to death in South Houston. She, too, lived near railroad tracks.
2: That kind of sealed the deal in everyone's mind. This wasn't somebody from within the community. And this wasn't a random act. And it was that point that everyone became super on high alert. Just the town was tense. Can they do it again? Can they come back? This is somebody that has a taste for it. They like riding the rails. It's easy for them to come in and get out quickly.
1: Resendiz was named as the prime suspect, with DNA later proving he was the murderer.
3: No, the serenacs, they were into three types of church. One, a liberal church, so-called Christians. One, uh, uh, a conservative church, Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. And um, also the the men and the women that were very much into witchcraft. Mm -hmm.
1: This is a perfect example of how arbitrary and unplanned this was. Here is this tiny little Texas town it's quiet, it's friendly, and here, suddenly, is this monster in their midst.
3: Holly
0: Dunn and her then-boyfriend, Chris Meyer, were walking back to a party along railroad tracks... Late in
1: tracks the evening in of August the 29th, 1997, the Chris Meyer and Holly Dunn, who were two students at the University of Kentucky, were returning home from a party, walking along railroad tracks near the campus, when Resendiz approached them.
0: He actually came, approached us from behind an electrical box.
1: He put a sharp object up to their necks and told them to lie down as he tied them up. He
0: actually tied up Chris's hands with his backpack. He tied up my hands with my belt. He ended up gagging us and tying our feet.
1: Resendiz demanded money, but when neither of them had any, he became angry.
0: The attacker came toward us with a rock, um, and it was a 52-pound rock.
1: He then smashed the rock on Chris's head.
0: He stabbed me in my neck and he said, look how easily I could kill you.
1: Resendiz slammed a board into her face over and over until it fractured her eye socket and broke her jaw. Uh,
0: and then he raped
1: me. He split her scalp in multiple places, stabbed her in the neck, And she slipped in and out of consciousness.
0: Just three blocks from the party, she was hit several more times, breaking her jaw and eye socket.
1: He then covered her and Chris with leaves and left them both for dead. Chris died from his injuries, but little did Resendis know, Holly would live.
0: She was left for dead, but ended up as the only survivor in the killing. Holly Dunn Pendleton is the only known survivor of the railway serial killer. Okay, I have my headphones in.
3: Hey, Holly, Hey, that?
0: that's better. Okay, now they're working. We're good. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Well, this is fascinating. It's not often that you get to speak to somebody who survived a serial killer's attack. And Holly also attended the trial. She got to see Resendiz up close. She knows what his modus operandi was. And she witnessed firsthand the brutality of what he was capable of.
0: I don't want him to be um, sensationalized. I don't want him to be seen as someone that was a good person in the world. I want people to know that he was an evil person. He was someone that wanted to do harm to people. So in my mind, he knew what he was doing. Um, he you know, was very calculated in how he approached us, that he had the weapon on Chris the whole time, that he was, you know, how he tied us up. Like, it just all was very calculated, it seemed. Dunn eventually got help from a nearby home. She spent five days in the hospital and returned to UK a month later.
1: There was a very specific modus operandi. I mean, he there was a pattern to, how, to what he did. He used to bludgeon people.
0: Right, and I mean, he often used weapons of opportunity that were found you know, at the location where he was. So he wasn't bringing something in to hit people. He was finding something and then using whatever, you know, he found as a weapon in their house against them. So, you know, that definitely was a pattern.
1: In 1999, after an international manhunt and with the help of his sister, Resendez finally surrendered to the Texas Rangers at the Mexican border near El Paso to the incredible relief of communities like Weimar.
2: And we receive a little bit of news and they found his sister and they're talking to his sister. We get a little bit more news. The Rangers know where he is in Mexico. They're working out a negotiation. Resendez walks across a bridge linking Mexico with Texas and into custody. He walked across the international bridge and they apprehended him. The surrender was voluntary and it's something that he did on his own and uh, it was also the wishes of his family.
1: I just want to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor because this podcast would not be possible without their very kind support. What would it look like if we all listened more? Listening to audiobooks inspires us, motivates us and even brings us closer and there's no better place to listen than Audible. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet and now members get more than ever before. If you sign up to Audible each month, you'll get three titles of your choice, one audiobook, two Audible originals and fitness programs that you can't get anywhere else. There's never been a better time to experience Audible and you can try it for free for 30 days by visiting audible.com slash DMT or by texting DMT to 500 500. I'm currently halfway through The Sun by Philip Meyer, which is uh, this sprawling saga about one Texas family, because I live in Texas, spanning several generations. As a journalist, I do a ton of driving and Texas is a big state. And the great thing about Audible is that I get through large portions of a book before I reach my destination. To sign up again, go to audible.com slash DMT or by texting DMT to 500500. Now, back to Dead Man Talking. So Resendiz was only ever tried for one murder, and that was um, Claudia Benton, who was killed in Texas. But during the trial, prosecutors brought up eight other murders that occurred in the 90s. So in the court documents during the trial, the defence used this psychiatrist to, to give these psychiatric assessments of Resendiz to prove that he was insane, And the person who authored those reports was a guy called Dr. Bruce Cohen, and I really wanted to speak to him. Learning about this will surely help me when I look into what Resendiz told me on the tape. Arguably, there's fewer people that got inside Resendiz's head more than Dr. Cohen.
4: These were horrendous, uh, awful Killings. These ideas that he had a biblical and religious significance, that he was an angel from God, he was on some sort of a mission.
1: Dr Cohen found him to be delusional. He believed he was doing good by eliminating evil on God's behalf.
4: That he had solved the meanings of life through complex mathematical equations, that he was working with important people in the US government and in the Republican Party. He also specifically said that he did not believe that in the biblical sense, this was murder, but that when you are a prophet or messenger from God or an angel, he said, look, I was running from God. I was trying to warn these people that the angel is coming to take you. It's like Jonah, who didn't want to warn the people who was forced by God to act.
1: Resendiz also told him the reason he chose certain people to kill.
4: In Dr. Benton's house, he said that he knew that she was doing experiments on children and that she was torturing children. And it did appear to be the case that on her computer, she had been working on a presentation on birth defects and that she did have pictures of children uh, on the computer.
1: But he also claimed to not always commit murder after entering a home.
4: He said that in some houses, and he estimated this was about 20 houses, he actually left the house without waking anybody up or injuring any of the residents. And he said typically this was because there had been children in the house. And he said that something in me can't hurt children since children are innocent.
1: Another reason he gave for his actions, he wanted to kill gay people.
4: The Bible says homosexuals should be stoned to death also that they won't make it into the kingdom of heaven
1: and people who had or provided abortions
4: in some of these cases he said uh that there was evidence that these people that he had killed that either had an abortion or participated in abortion or maybe had had a pamphlet talking about abortion and again it had to do with those beliefs about about the sanctity of children
1: so the evidence against resendies during the trial was pretty overwhelming Um, There were fingerprints, there was DNA evidence. Even his attorney, a guy called Alan Tanner, admitted that Resendiz, his client, was the murderer, but he said he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, He was insane. Therefore, Resendiz should not get the death penalty. The jury disagreed with Alan Tanner and the defence, and they found Resendiz guilty of the Benton murder and sentenced him to death.
2: (laughs) How do you feel about um,
1: execution, and are you, are you scared?
3: I fear God. Mm. You know, it's about it. I don't fear no one else, but God. Mm-hmm. Some people have taken me to the point of being killed. Mm. And I just say, well, I guess it's time for me to die.
1: So that's the background to Angel Resendiz as I begin my investigation into the additional crimes that he confessed to on this crackly tape. When I spoke to Soul survivor Holly Dunn, I wanted to get her view on the taped confessions and what I had planned in this podcast series. She'd written that Resendiz courted fame after his arrest and I wondered if she saw this as part of that. When he was in prison, he sold locks of his hair and fingernail clippings and letters uh, from jail. And, you know, the the question has to be asked. Do you think that he was lying about additional murders and that was part of his courting the press?
0: Uh, I think that's very possible. I do believe that he was trying to make himself bigger than he was, But I don't think that means we discount anything that he said. Um, I think that anything that he said should be investigated to the fullest. But I do believe that he very well could have fabricated a lot of stories to help him in his notoriety.
1: I also told her about the letter I'd received from Diamantina Colahaco, how she claims to be innocent and that Resendiz admitted to the crime.
0: Right. No, I mean, it is that I would and if I was serving time for a crime I didn't commit, I would do everything possible to um, try to make that come to light. If there's any validity to what someone that is now executed, you know, if there was any validity to what he was saying, I believe that he was obviously evil and terrible and he did kill so many people but he was smart. Like that's, that's one thing that you got to give him credit for was that he was not an uneducated. I mean, he was uneducated, but he was a smart man. Um, I think that he got smarter when he got in jail because he started to educate himself. He had all the time to read, to talk to people, to, you know, find out information from other prisoners. He had all this opportunity to fabricate stories or to, find out information or detail and detailed information of things that he shouldn't know. It seems like it's always going to be a game or like never solved that. We're not going to know exactly everything that he did because he, that there is always that underlying thought that he could be lying, but then you have to investigate to the fullest. And it's like, where do you draw the line? It's like such a gray area.
1: Thank you, Holly. Okay, See you soon. Bye-bye. This is the crux of the podcast series. Am I being led down the garden path by a serial killer who made me buy him donuts before he'd speak to me? Or are a couple serving time for a murder they didn't commit? This is what I'm going to need to get to the bottom of. I have been conscious of what his victims' relatives think about me basically dredging up this 15-year-old story and, you know, I'm very conscious of that, but when Holly told me that we have a duty to follow up to investigate this confession, that if there is a confession, we have a duty to investigate, we should investigate this, then it's given me the impetus to do just
3: that. Yeah. So she's in prison for murder? For murdering her husband when I did it.
1: After receiving the letter from Diamantina Colahaco, I tried to get an interview with her at the prison in Gatesville. I was knocked back by the authorities for several weeks. Turns out, not everyone appreciates podcasts like we do. But after some to and froing, we got the go-ahead. So coming up in episode two, I'm going to visit Gatesville, Texas, and finally meet... Diamantina Colahaco. From DMT Media and Audio Boom, this is the Dead Man Talking podcast. If you want to find out what happens next, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening destination. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure you rate and review us too. Dead Man Talking is presented by me, Alex Hannaford. The producer and sound engineer is Peter Sale. Our researcher and production assistant is Connor Tolany. Special thanks to Anna Roach and to the band Goodnight Texas, whose song The Railroad is our theme music. You can check them out at hi-we-are-goodnight-texas-how-are-you.com. You can follow developments to our story and send us messages at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Dead Man Talking. We're also Twittering at Deadman Podcast, and you can email us at deadmantalkingpodcast at outlook.com.